How are you doing? Some of you are doing okay. The rest of you, we're going to pray in a moment. You can pray at that moment that God would give you a, a little more exciting day as we go through the day. Um, I know it's early. Here's what I want to do, though. I'd like for you to take a moment with me. We're going to pray over our volunteers that are serving this week for VBS. We're going to pray over the children that we are going to see and their families that we are trying to impact with the gospel. Uh, I want you to pray, and here's a couple things I want you to pray for throughout the week. I want you to know that uh, the statistics say that if you reach a child, there is a possibility, it's in the low percentages, that you'll reach the whole family. So what we want to do is we want to pray that greater, right? We want to pray that if we can reach the dads, we can reach about 90% of the time the whole family will come to church. And so we're going to be asking these kids all week long to bring their parents with them on Sunday to be a part of our service at the end of the day, at the end of the week. And so if you would kind of gather with us in prayer throughout the week, wherever you might be, and be praying for these kids, but also be praying for the impact that God would use through those kids to their families, especially to their parents, that we would see the gospel go forth way greater, that he would multiply our effects more so than what we can do even in these walls throughout the week. Uh, we're going to pray right now, and I'm going to ask if you would, I'm going to ask Tracy, and I know Jana's going to hate me for this. Jana, would you come up here to the front too? Okay. Chad's just glad I didn't call him out to come up front. <laughs> um, I want them to come up front uh, because they're the ones that are leading things this season, um, this week, this big event. It's not just an event against It's our biggest missions outreach we do all year long. I want you guys to stand right here in the middle. I'm going to ask some of our deacons that were here, if you would come up and stand around. Now, let me say this. If your spouse and you're a deacon, if your spouse is in here today, and we're going to pray for everybody at once. If your spouse is in here today, deacon, and, and you know that they're volunteering and you'd like to stay and pray for them, that's okay. You can do that. But if, if you wouldn't mind some deacons or some other leaders in our church come up and huddle around these folks, I'll let you make your way this way. A few of you come on up here. And then I want you to, the rest of you, if you're volunteering for VBS this week, would you just stand up right now where you are? Would you stand up where you are? Man, look at all these youngins. Isn't that great? We've got some oldens, some youngins, some in-betweeners. All right, here's what I want you guys to do. Look and see people around you. Now I'm going to ask you all to stand up and lay hands on or get close to somebody in front of you or around you, behind you, that is serving this morning. If you don't see anybody around you, go to somebody else. Real quick, make your way. We need some people to pray. There's a bunch of folks over here. Raise your hand if you're serving in VBS. Raise your hand up so we see you. Raise your hand. Okay, see some people. Okay, gather around them, pray over them. Keep your hands up for a second. And let me just say this as you're getting there, getting ready. We want to thank all of you. Listen to me real quick. We want to thank all of you for your willingness to go through all the metamorphous changes that we've got in front of us, the metamorphoses that we see, the stage, your Sunday school rooms. Thank you for being willing to sacrifice a little bit of your comfort, a little bit of your norm in order for us to reach more kids with the gospel. This is a huge part of your way of sharing with us in the mission of Jesus Christ. So right now, I'm going to pray uh, briefly, and then I'm going to let you pray for about a minute two minutes. You can pray out loud. You can pray quietly, however you want to do it. If there's multiple people praying at once, hey, it's okay. It happened at Pentecost. You can do that too. It doesn't mean you're speaking in tongues necessarily. Okay, just pray and just pray hard and keep praying throughout the week. This is the beginning of a season of prayer for us, okay? So I'll pray briefly, then you'll all pray, then I'll close us with a prayer. Let me begin. Father, right now we come to you to pray over these volunteers, for we know that they will come up against the work of your enemy, but we know that you are greater than the enemy, that you've already overcome him, 
And so right now, though, Lord, there will be moments where they will struggle, and there will be issues with children. There will be issues with parents. There will be issues of our hearts and sin in our own lives. Would you right now give us the prayers to pray over these folks as we come to you now to pray as a faith family? I ask that in Jesus' name. Now you pray. Lord, we praise you, Father. We thank you, Lord, for the voices just now that we could hear across the room that we're lifting up prayers for your saints, your sinners saved by grace who are going to serve this community and serve these children. Lord, we thank you that you've put those prayers in our hearts to see that you can work in so many of us, even at once, and that we would all be praying continually this week. That's our prayer, that you would move in us, that you would remind us, that you would spark us to pray throughout the week for these volunteers, for these children, for these families, for these parents. Lord, we just thank you for the gift we have to serve you by you giving us this opportunity. May we give it all to you, Lord. May you be the one that is lifted high as you protect us from the enemy, but even greater, Lord, that you would use us for your glory and that we would see people come to know you for the first time and folks encouraged as we serve and as they hear the gospel. Lord, we ask that you would make mighty things happen this week as we serve you. And we ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Make your way back to your seats. Now, as we begin the second part of this three-part series on close encounters face-to-face with Jesus, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, to Luke chapter 5. If you're not there, you get there while we kind of set the tone for this. I want to ask you for a moment today if you actually recognize who you are in this room. We can relate to one of the different types of people in this story. Most of us, though, are not as self-aware as we need to be. I bet we could all agree with that. There's always ways we could learn a little more about who we are and about what our issues are, what our problems might be, what our inabilities or our fallacies might be. I want you to think for just a moment as we read this story, which one of these people groups might you relate to the most? So I'm going to read the story And then we're going to talk about these different groups, and then we're going to kind of jump in. It's going to be a one-point sermon, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you what the one point is so that you're ready for it. Uh, Be careful that you don't just have your eyes roll back and your lids close down as you hear this point, because it's one that I'm pretty sure you've heard before. It's one that I think that you have been impacted with at some point, but you might have gotten used to it. In fact, it's a point that you might have heard so many times that you don't even hear it anymore because you don't feel it anymore. You feel like that's kind of in your past. You get this. You've got that. But today, I want you to be aware that the truth is still the truth today, and we need to hear it ever as much today as we did the first time. And here's the main point. 
And you may think, what am I doing here, right? I've already heard this. I already know this. Just be ready. Are you ready? Okay, three of you are ready. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, good. That's what I'm talking about. I want some interaction. Good. Thank you. Here we go. Here's what it is. The main point is this, that Jesus came to forgive you of your sins. Jesus came to forgive you of your sins. Don't block that out. Don't get over that moment. Don't get over that truth that is occurring all throughout your day. Jesus came to forgive you of your sins. Look at this passage with me. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 and on. On one of those days as he was teaching, talking about Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say. Your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, enlighten our hearts and our minds to understand the truth of our need for you, of our need for your son Jesus and his sacrifice that is just as real and imminent as when we first heard this truth. Would you work in us to recognize where we are and where we should be in light of who Jesus is? And would you change us according to your word and by your spirit for your glory and for our being built up in the faith and our being transformed into the image of Christ? And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at this again and let's pick out a few things as we go. I want you to notice the players in the story. There's really four. I'm going to kind of hit on three. Uh, one of the players, as you know, as you've seen early on, is the guy who is paralyzed, right? He's a guy who's paralyzed. Some of the old uh, guys that are dead and gone past talk about him being with palsy. They say he's paralyzed. He's unable to move. Uh, the, the other group of people that you'll see are, are the friends that brought him to Jesus, the guys who are lifting him up, the, taking him up the roof. Now, you got to remember back in those days that the roofs were mostly flat. They would have had a way to get up top from the outside. They get up to the outside, they remove some of the roof, and they lower him down in there. It kind of sounds like an old fraternity joke I would have heard or been a part of. Um, but it's not. I'm pretty sure these guys were doing it because they loved their friend and they had faith that Jesus could heal him. In fact, Jesus says, seeing their faith. I think talking about them and the guy that's healed seeing their faith. He responds, right? And then we have the group of people that are there that are mentioned in the very beginning we must take special note of because they're mentioned in the very beginning, although they don't come into play until later. We see that in the very beginning he mentions that there are Pharisees there and teachers of the law, which are like the scribes, those who would know everything there is to know about the Bible. 
And those, as Spurgeon called them, and I'll call them today, are the sitters by. Those who are sitting there watching things. Those who are paying attention to what's happening, but they're not very invested in the hope about what is to come. They're judging what's happening, but they're not very active. They're not engaged in there to help anyone or to be healed themselves. They're simply there to see what all the fuss is about, about this guy. They're taking notes. They're going to bring it back on him later. They're waiting to see what he does and how he responds to people in the room. And they're going to judge him accordingly to their laws, to their ways. But that's all they're there to do. They're sitters by. And so I want to ask you today, which one of these folks are you? Are you the one in great need of healing? Are you the ones who are bringing your friends to Jesus? Or are you the ones who are sitters by? There's a few others there. We don't know if they're there to be healed, if they're there because they love Jesus, or if they're there because they're also sitters by. But we have been shown these three groups of people. And I want you just to remember as we get into this, remember the whole point is that Jesus came to forgive you of your sins. Go back, let's look at it and break some of this down. On one of those days, verse 17, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. People are coming from all over, right? Jesus is known now. People are coming from all over to check him out and see what he's doing. He's getting a lot of attention, but this is a guy who didn't go through all the schools they went through, who didn't live up to the letter that they have lived up to. They don't think this is a guy from Nazareth. Why could he be commanding all this presence? They've come to check him out. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. I think Luke's inserting that to let us understand he's about to do some healing. Here comes the healing, right? In fact, this is what this whole thing seems to be about, isn't it? It seems to be about healing. This guy's in need. In fact, we pick up verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Um, we see that reason for that is they want him healed. So these guys take him up on the roof when they can't get in the door. They tear apart the roof. These guys are determined, right? They're, they are making great efforts. They're risking reputations. They're risking getting in trouble with the homeowner. Wouldn't you be mad? I would be. Tearing apart the roof to get somebody in. We should wait outside, bro. You know, we don't have to tear up my roof. These guys are tearing up the roof to lower their friend in. They love him. They care for him. They see his need. And they're willing to do whatever it takes. And this guy's letting them, the one who's in great need, he's letting them do this. He's not stopping them. Maybe he's unable to. Maybe he doesn't have anything left within him. Maybe he's near death. We don't know. But he's not stopping them. He wants to go before Jesus as well. He has faith that Jesus can do something. You've got to believe Jesus can do something to do what they've done. You've got to have some real faith. You've got to believe that this is all worth it, that this can happen. You know what you've heard, maybe you've seen it, and you believe he'll do it for you if you just work hard enough to get into his presence, that he will change things. That's what we see these guys doing. Right, verse 19, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, key, right? When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now that is a weird statement to make in the midst of this moment. If you're there, you're thinking, what? <laughs> this guy's coming down because he can't move and you're saying his sins are forgiven. Okay, now heal the guy, right? That's what we're all anticipating, we're all waiting for. That's what everybody's expecting to happen. And I think many of us are expecting the same kinds of things from Jesus. Like, hey Lord, look at this craziness I'm going through. The enemy's coming against me, or I'm really struggling today, or I've got some things that just aren't taken care of. Lord, where are you? Where are you? 
These guys bring their friend. They know where he is. They drop this guy in through the roof, and as they lay him before him, he says to them, seeing their faith, man, your sins are forgiven. This should strike us enough to make us wonder why in the world he would put us right here. A few things to know when you read scripture, right? If something starts off with something and kind of ends up with something, oftentimes that's really important. In fact, it happens all through the gospel of Mark. Mark is famous for it. They call it Mark and Sandwiches. Because Mark will say something in the beginning, say something in the end, and the real important stuff is right in the middle. In fact, most good stories do that, right? They start off with a problem, they end up with the solution, and in the middle, there's something that fixes the problem. But what we see here is a fix we don't expect. We should take note of it. In fact, go back and look at it again. Verse 20, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? There they are again, right? These guys are not concerned about what's going on except that this guy is speaking blasphemies. That means that he's saying things that only God should be able to say. He's putting himself in the place of God. It's very clear. This is why he gets crucified later. It's very obvious what's happening on. It was happening here in this, this moment. What's going on? He says, they say to themselves, who can forgive sins but God alone? They clarify. Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Right? He calls them out from being the sinner's by. He says, why do you question in your hearts? What's the real issue inside of you? Why are you questioning what I've said? He knows why. He knows their thoughts. He says this, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And the response of the people is this, amazement sees them all. In fact, that word, later on, you see, amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe. That means fear and wonder, right? They were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. In fact, that word is the Greek word where we get our word paradox, paradoxa, right? That we have seen paradoxa things today. We've seen crazy things that don't add up, things that don't seem to be real. They can't happen, but they did. It's a paradox. It shouldn't be, but it is. So we've seen extraordinary things happen today. And here's the question. What of those things is the most extraordinary thing? And I know that you can say the church answer and you can tell me the right answer, the forgiveness of sins. Yeah, but do you really believe that to be true? Because I think it's standing in front of us right now, if Jesus happened to walk up here on stage and somebody peeled back the roof, we'd be really mad. <laughs> and then as they lowered this guy in, we would be wondering what's happening, thinking he's trying to get healed. And when he said, your sins are forgiven, we'd be like, well, yeah, seeing their faith. But then when he healed him, I think the place would go nuts. Wouldn't we? We don't want to act like that's the case, but we would be going home talking about the fact that he healed that guy. We'd be going home talking about the fact that he can overcome death. He can overcome paralysis. He did it in our midst. And this is the way we pray, right? I'm talking to you because most of you in this room are believers and followers of Jesus. I'm hoping a lot of us in here are. Some of us in here aren't. Just statistically, it's just the case. 
But some of us in here are followers of Jesus, and we put our hope and faith in Christ at some point for forgiveness of our sins, but day to day we go to him, generally speaking, a lot of us go to him asking for him to do additional things more so than forgiving us of our sins. We may throw that in there, but it's not really what's at the heart of what we desire. It's not really at the heart of what we think our needs are. We think we need less hours on the job. We think we need more money in the bank. We think we need better kid acting at home. We think we need better understanding from our spouse. We think we need better hope in our, whatever our situation is. We think we need healing in whatever thing is bothering us continually, whatever your thorn in the side is. Those are the things that drive us most of the time. But here, Jesus sees this guy's greatest need outwardly and inwardly on him. His body is not working a result of the fall of sin entering the world. And the thing he says to him is, your sins are forgiven. Is yeah, I posit that your posture before Jesus reveals what you really think about God and what you really think about yourself. Your posture before Jesus, listen to this, your posture before Jesus when you pray, when you talk to him, reveals much about your view of God and about your view of of self. You see, when you come face to face with Jesus, honestly, staring him in the face like this guy was, the depth of your sinfulness becomes painfully obvious. You may be thinking, well, mine says sometimes. I'm not talking about you. (laughs) I'm talking about it becomes painfully obvious to the Lord. When you are face to face with Jesus, when you are talking to him, when you're relating to him, when he's hearing you, The depth of our sins, when he's hearing us, when we're standing face to face with him, the depth of our sinfulness becomes painfully obvious to him because he recognizes what it took to overcome that so that you could be in a relationship with him, and it took his very life that's worth more than everything combined. It took his suffering on the cross to overcome it. It took him dying the most horrific death we can ever imagine by enduring all the wrath that we would have endured for all eternity so that we could be brought into relationship with him. It's painfully obvious to him as we speak to him, as we commune with him. And all of our other needs pale in comparison to our need for forgiveness in the eyes of Christ because that is our greatest need. He might can heal you from your sickness or heal you from your hurts, but if he doesn't heal you from your sinfulness, none of it matters because that's the most pressing and important need. And he sees our sins ever so apparently. He sees these Pharisees' thoughts, doesn't he? He sees their thoughts. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what's going on at the subconscious level. He knows what's happening in our hearts, the glances that we make as we look at others. He knows the things that we think as they fleet in and out of our minds because they emanate from our hearts. He tells stories in other places where he says that you're not dirty because of what you put in your body, you're dirty because of what comes out of the heart. He knows our issues, he knows our problems, and he came to save us from our sins, to forgive us of our sins. That is what brings ultimate healing. It's the path, it's the way, it's the only way to get ultimate healing. We need to be reminded that all of our other needs pale in comparison to our need for forgiveness of our sins. Listen, if you pray, if you seek the Lord, and you're not burdened by your sin throughout the day, throughout the week, man, maybe you're not recognizing your need for the Savior today as much as you had him the first time. I'm not trying to beat you down, I'm trying to put things in real perspective. I'm trying to take the the lenses off so that we can see truly who we are. We need to understand our need for Jesus never changes. 
Yes, his sacrifice was once and for all, but our need for him never goes away or never diminishes. And our understanding of our need for that should actually increase over time, which shows our greater need than we thought originally that we had for him. This guy has been living his whole life with paralysis, and as he comes down and lays in the mat, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Went through all that to be forgiven of his sins, and that's enough. He could have stopped right there, because it's really enough, because Jesus came to forgive you of your sins. We need to remember this too. I'm going to say this, because we, need to, we, don't, we talk about it too much, and we don't talk about it in this way enough. Stop giving Satan all the credit. You hear what I'm saying? This is something I had forgotten about, and then I moved back. And I had forgotten about how much we, down here, I'm here, I'm one of you, I grew up here, how much we give Satan credit for our sins. What we do, we do because we want to do it. What we do, we do because we are sinners. Not because Satan has jumped in us and made us do some bad things. Satan is not the author of your sin. You have sin within you because you are a sinner at the core. I have sin within me because I'm a sinner. Satan is not the one who makes those things happen. Now, you may be tempted by one of the minions of the enemy. First of all, listen, there's only one Lucifer, who we call him that, the angel that fell that was right up there in importance high up. That guy, there's only one of them, and he's not omnipresent. This is not a dualistic belief system. He is not all powerful like Jesus, but Jesus is a little more powerful. This is an, an angel that was created that fell and that fell out of fellowship with God, and he does not have power to be everywhere at once. And I'm pretty sure, taking a long shot here, I'm pretty sure that none of us are important enough to deem his presence a lot of the time. Do you understand what I'm saying? He may send one of his little guys after us, little ladies, whatever. But he's not coming after us individually. We're not that important. We're not that big. I'm pretty sure he's reserved himself for the biggest ones if he's trying to tempt somebody, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not that guy. Don't give him the credit for our sin because it takes away from the glory of Jesus. You understand? We're not just victims here, we are transgressors. We are full of iniquity. We have fallen. We have made mistakes. We have failed. Let's own it up so that the Lord is magnified because then we see how great his sacrifice is for us. And I'm not trying to beat us down. I'm trying to say, let's look at who we really are. Yes, you may have done better than somebody else in your class. Yes, you may have done better than someone else in, in today's work environment, wherever you are. Yes, you may have done better and done right things compared to somebody else who did wrong things, but there's plenty of wrong in my heart. There's plenty of wrong I've done. You and I both need to recognize and own our sinfulness and recognize that Jesus came to forgive me and his forgiveness is still needed today on me. Yes, he paid the price once and for all. Yes, if you believe in him, you've been saved, but you're still sinning and you still need to repent. Every day is a day of repentance. As Luther said, every moment of your life, your life is a life of repentance. Let's not give the enemy more credit than he deserves. So to which one of these people do you most relate? Let's take a moment and look at these again. Are you the one today who is in desperate need of healing? Right? Are, are, are you that one? Are, are you the one today that's like, 
hoping to hear these words out of Psalm 103, starting in verse 10, that says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Praise the Lord that He separates us from our sin because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus. Not because I'm better but because he is good. Maybe you're desperate in need of healing physically. Maybe you recognize your need emotionally. Maybe you're here today because you're hurting. Maybe you're just here and you're hurting. And today I'm here to tell you that you may seek the Lord. Seek him while he may be found. You're hearing the word today because he wanted you here to hear it. You're listening to the gospel today that can heal you, but first it's here to forgive you of your sins is what Jesus came for. Seek the Lord while he may be found, Isaiah 55 says. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Are you sensing your need to be healed today? If you're sensing your need to be healed from a moment, from an experience, from an emotion, from a hurt, from a physical thing, then sense your need for healing of your sin today and put your hope and faith in Christ And recognize that even if he doesn't take it away, his grace is sufficient for you until he returns. Paul talks about it, 2 Corinthians 9, or 12, verse 9 on. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is when he's talking about the thorn put in his side. We don't know what it was, but he prayed for it to be taken away over and over again. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, as you lean into Jesus, then you find strength. As you lean into Jesus, then you find healing. Then you find peace. Then you find what you need to get you through, not as you get stronger and stronger in the faith. If Paul's saying that, who are we, right? I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Look, Jesus hates your sickness. Jesus hates your disease. Jesus hates your suffering. Jesus hates your heartache. Jesus hates your inside turmoil. Jesus hates your your, your feeling hopeless, your feeling lonely. Jesus hates them so much that he became one of us to live the life we could not live in perfection, to die the death that we deserve in our sinfulness. He took all our sin on himself so that he could then rise in victory over Satan's sin, death, and hell, and over all these things, and one day put us right with God because he wanted to forgive us of our sins so that he could reconcile us back to God. He hates those things so much he gave his own life so that you and I could be brought into the family of God because Jesus came to forgive sinners. He came to forgive our sins. Like maybe you're not the one who's hurting and in need of those physical things or those emotional things, but maybe today you're one of those who's a real friend to someone who needs Jesus. Listen, we've all got friends who need Jesus. The question is, are you being a friend like we see here? of great faith, a, fan, a friend who loves their friend more than they love their reputation, a man or a woman who loves their friend more than they love the damage it might cause if they do what's needed to be done, someone who loves their friend more than they love what people think about them, 
who's going to do whatever it takes to bring their friend to the one who can really heal them? Are you being that kind of friend? Maybe that's the, someone for you. Maybe that's what God's putting on your heart. Maybe he's saying to you right now, I'm not that friend. Maybe he's saying to you right now, you're not that friend, but you need to be and you can be. Not because you're going to be perfect, but because you're going to believe in me because I'm going to empower you by the Spirit to believe in me. So I'm going to give you the faith you need. Our faith is a gift. If you're one of those people, I'm asking you this question. Is there someone you need to bring to Jesus? I want you to take a second. If you're writing notes, write that down. Is there someone you need to bring to Jesus? I'm not kidding. Write it down. Please. And I want you to go back and pray that question. Lord, is there someone I need to bring to Jesus? You may think, I don't know how to do that. It's okay. You may think, I, I don't know what to say. I don't, what if they ask me the, these things? I don't know how the answer to it. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not worried about that now. Just ask, Lord, is there someone I need to bring to Jesus? Look, if there's anything we all need to learn together, whenever the Lord comes back or he takes us away from this place, is this thing, perfect, immediate obedience. And just ask, Lord, is there anyone I need to bring to Jesus? God's already working around you. He's already working in you. You just need to ask him to open your eyes so you can join his work. Even his son says, I don't do anything of my own accord. I only do what I see the father doing. The father had empowered him to heal. And so he healed. We can always become better friends, folks. Amen? Not more condescending, but more compassionate. Let's be careful, religious folks. Not more accusatory, hey, you need Jesus, and so do I, right? Across the table, not down. Not more accusatory, maybe more loving. Listen, if you say that you love someone as your friend, if you say that you really love them, you give your life for them, are you giving your life for them? Because Jesus loved you so much that he gave his life for you. Now, you're going to fail at this over and over again, but Jesus did not fail. So there's hope. Every time you fail, there's hope in Jesus, and he gives you more and more opportunities because he wants you to be like him, and he knows you're going to fail, and he knows you're going to mess up, and he didn't fail, so it's okay that you did, but it's time to get back up on the horse and get in the game again. I guess the game of polo, what are the games you play on a horse? And it may feel like jousting with some people, don't waste your time there. If they're just arguing to be argumentative, but be the better friend and love them well with Jesus. Look, the third party of this is probably the hardest. I'm going to throw this at us real fast and we'll be done. I say real fast, not fast enough once you feel it. Are we a part of those sitters by? Are you someone that comes in to take notes and to see if something there that you might want to to, to enjoy or take in and put in your bat belt, right? Or is there something that, that you're wanting to hear that will help you a little bit in your moment of need? Or really, you're just here to kind of check things out and do your religious duty, and you're kind of not wanting to listen to me. That's okay. But the thing is, is that I'm not talking about me here. I'm, the Word of God is being preached today, right? It's not about me. It's not about even you by yourself. But it is about what you're going to do with this today. Are you one of the sitters by? Listen, brothers and sisters, you cannot hear the gospel of Jesus and be the same afterward. It's an impossibility. You cannot receive grace from the Lord and be the same afterward. Either you will be brought nearer to God or you will harden your heart toward God. Go back and read Exodus. Read the story with Pharaoh. 
God gave him opportunity, 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 opportunity. And what happened? Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says, and God hardened his heart. You know how he did? By giving him opportunities to repent. And Pharaoh turned away. You cannot be the same after hearing the gospel. Day in and day out, you will not be the same. You'll either be hardened in your heart or you'll be brought nearer to God, but you cannot remain the same. Listen to this. This is a good one to put to memory. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It means he's without sin. There's nothing wrong with him. He is all pure, all right, all good, all the time. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So if you're staying hidden in your sins, you're keeping them hidden, you're not being honest, you're lying and you're not really in fellowship with God. You're ignoring those things. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It doesn't seem, say that you're going to be sinless. It says that Jesus is going to cleanse you of all those sins. It's like when the light comes on on your sin, do you run and try to cover up, or do you praise the Lord for his mercy and revealing it so that you might be forgiven and might be changed? That's what he's pointing out. Are you running like a cockroach, or are you one that basks in the light and says, yes, Lord, thank you, forgive me, forgive me. And we cover it up ever so clearly to the Lord, but ever so confusingly to ourselves. Let me just point this out, right? Some of us, the way we do it is that we stand up in front of other people and we act like we have it all together. And we will pray even to be forgiven of our sins, but we're thanking the Lord, but really in our heart, nothing's happening. We can cover oh so well. We may run for cover inside of our religion. We may run for cover inside of what other people see as a good person, a giving person. We give a lot so that we are receiving Thanks from the Lord, we think, and we're all good. We kind of paid the price for whatever we've done. There's all kinds of ways we can cover it up, but the way he says it here, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Listen, verse 8, you think I'm crazy, listen, this clarifies it. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You say you have nothing to repent of? You're deceiving yourself, is what the Bible says. Let's not walk in deceit, brothers and sisters. My greatest fear is that I would preach the truth to friends whom I think are brothers and sisters, even my own family. And that as they hear the gospel, they think that they know him, they think that they walk with him, but they hear those words from Matthew 7 on the last day that says, depart from me, I never knew you. Do not be deceived. We need to be forgiven of our sins. It is heavy on us when we see the truth. We should feel the pressure and weight of our sin, and it should be released under the the forgiveness of Jesus every time that we repent before him. And you can worry too much about every little sin. You've got to remember every single one. No, the Lord's grace is sufficient. But what he brings to your mind, you need to repent of. And if he's bringing nothing to your mind, maybe you're far from him. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He even knows your thoughts, remember? So today I stand before you and just like in Acts 3, I say, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, 
that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Today, you can have that refreshment. Confess your sins to the Lord. Turn back to him. Come back to him and feel refreshment and feel the forgiveness that comes in Christ. Daily, let us turn back to him. Let us see ourselves for who we are and not think highly of self, but think highly of Jesus. He's standing at the door and knocking. He's beckoning us to turn back to him. There are no bench warmers in this game, brothers and sisters. There's only people on the mission and people not on the mission. There's only people in the mix recognizing their need for a Savior and those who thought they've already covered that. There is no in-between. Don't be on the other team. Don't be one who thinks you're okay and doesn't need Jesus just as much today as the first time you met him because Jesus came to forgive you of your sins. He came to save us of our sins. He came to seek and to save the lost. Who is us? And now that we're found, we still need him and we'll always need him. Let's turn back to him today. Father, I ask you today that you would raise our hearts to know you and to trust in you and to give our lives to you, that you would be the one who works in us to show us our needs, to show us our our sins, that we would be forgiven because of your work on the cross, but that we would come to you and repent before you, that we would come back to you. Lord, it doesn't mean to repent, to, to fight against our sin and run away from it. It just means to turn back to you, Lord, because we can't overcome our sin, but you can overcome it in us. You can give us what we need. So Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would give us the grace and the mercy that comes in Jesus by your spirit. It's a day we be refreshed from your presence. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.